Let's Fix Work is proudly sponsored by Namely. Namely's all-in-one HR payroll and benefits platform helps organizations like yours build a better workplace. Over 1,000 companies use Namely every day. Get a free demo by visiting namely.com forward slash podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Have you ever been in a situation at work where you witness something uncomfortable, but you don't say anything? Have you seen behaviors that are rude and offensive, but you're unsure what to do about it? Well, very early in my career, like the late 90s, I watched a VP come on strong to my coworker. He started as her friend, and then he gave her some additional opportunities at work. Then he loaned her money. Then they started dating in secret, but it wasn't a secret because nobody in HR can keep a secret. And then eventually he had a meltdown and he abandoned her. Now, her career basically stalled when he abandoned her and she ultimately quit and nobody ever got mad at that VP. And I remember sticking my nose in the situation very early on because that's what I do. And I asked her, what is going on? This dude is gross. He's old. He's in a position of power. And she said, no, he's all right. He's my soulmate. No, I didn't know what to say. We were both young girls. And to this day, that whole thing still bothers me. So on today's show, I'm talking to Morgan Mercer. She's the founder and CEO of Vantage Point. They use virtual reality, think of those Facebook Oculus glasses, to immerse you in scenarios just like the one I described and then train you and test you on how to respond appropriately. So can virtual reality solve sexual harassment? I have no idea. Let's find out. Sit tight and I'll be right back with more Morgan Mercer and Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Morgan. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's so exciting to have you on the show. You're a fellow North Carolinian who's doing great things in the world of technology and people, and you're out in the sunny state of California. So no one can tell a story like the individual who's going through it can tell their story. So why don't you tell us who you are and how you're trying to fix work? Yeah, absolutely. So through my background, I recognize that there is an incredible opportunity to really come in and change the game in education, learning, and training. As you referenced, I was born in North Carolina. I'm a biracial female. And what I recognized growing up in the South is that there are very competing ideologies, value systems, belief systems, etc. And ultimately, what I realized was that issues like unconscious bias and sexual harassment and racism and all of these other problems that have risen to prominence, you know, in the last year or two years have been around for decades and decades and decades, right? They're not new. And so then what I really thought about growing up was, okay, so if we know about these issues, why have we not necessarily made the progress in the ways that we would hope to over the years and around all of these resources, these new applications of technology? Why are we not seeing the needle shift in the way we would want to? And the numbers don't lie. They're all out there. It's very transparent, right? So really what I recognized then was that Number one, in order for people to allocate all of their resources to solving an issue, they need to feel like the problem impacts them, whether it's directly or indirectly. So, you know, for a lot of people who wouldn't be able to step into the shoes of somebody of a different ethnicity or a different background or whatever it may be, it can be incredibly hard to understand what it feels like. And it's really incredibly difficult to explain a feeling. So for me to explain the feeling of discomfort or of not seeing anyone else who looks like you or of fear or of anger, frustration, it's difficult, right? So how do you create that feeling You know, when it's so subjective and allow people to translate that feeling to information? And then you know, taking that one step further, when you think about something like a car crash, right? You have all of these feelings, right? You feel fear, 
you know that the situation is really heavy. It's really impactful. You have to make the right choice. And you have two seconds to make the right decision. And you're trying to take all of these feelings, translate it to information, and then translate that information to all of these different decision trees and do the thing that's the most correct where everyone ends up the best off. Again, split second. That's not something where you're going to reference, oh, hmm, what did my driver's ed teacher tell me to do 10 years ago? Right. And so, no, don't we pull on practice? Don't we pull on what we've experienced? Don't we pull on our belief systems in those moments? Exactly. Exactly. So, really, how do you train that? How do you train that? Through emerging technologies. So, <laughs> <laughs> tell me a little bit more about what you're trying to do with your technology. Yeah, absolutely. So, what we do is we leverage emerging technology like standalone virtual reality. And we actually allow you to step into these situations, right? And so we started with anti-sexual harassment training. We immerse you in an environment where we essentially will use branching narrative story structures and we will allow you to feel that discomfort and we'll tie those feelings to actions you can take to positively influence the outcome. And then we allow you to see the ways that these situations play out. And that feeling is then translated to information. So I think we have to take a step back and describe what standalone virtual reality is. You're literally talking about an Oculus headset, right? Or some sort of way of getting people in the moment using virtual reality. So whether it's Oculus or some other brand. So you immerse yourself in this world of virtual reality and you experience sexual harassment or you witness sexual harassment and then you, through what, a series of games or, or tests or quizzes, try to learn how to know better and do better. Like, Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to make it feel as realistic as possible. Ultimately, virtual reality in and of itself is based upon, you know, the feeling of presence and the feeling of immersion, right? So forgetting the fact that you are not in the room you're in. So I, Morgan, am not sitting in my office in Los Angeles. I am immersed in this environment, in this experience that's taking place, and I feel present in it. And I forget about my real life because I believe this to be reality. So what we actually do is we use photorealistic characters and we actually immerse you in a 360 environment where you're sitting and you could be looking, making eye contact with the character sitting next to you. You can see their face kind of, you know, almost slightly pleading for you to speak up and say something. And again, really creating that feeling. So in some scenarios, we use invasion of personal space. We leverage tonality. We'll use a lot of things that don't translate on paper and don't translate in an explanation, but do translate in real life because that's how these situations play out. And essentially, what you do is you can call HR, you can text your colleague, you can take all of these actions to influence your outcome, teaching you that what you do matters and speaking up sooner is better than speaking up later. And it's better to speak up than to not speak up at all. So we're really starting with where you are and teaching you to do more. I love the idea that technology can teach you to be compassionate, can teach you a sense of empathy. But I wonder, can it really? Like, Is your research, is your program showing that you can change behaviors and change attitudes through this training? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, there have been tons of bodies of research around VR being used for empathy and actually shifting attitudes and shifting beliefs around things. And I can give you some examples if you'd like. I'm curious because I think it's interesting living in the South and living near communities that may have certain beliefs, right? So for example, Pete Buttigieg just did a town hall on Fox News and he went and spoke to a group of people who may or may not believe in different versions of marriage, right? Mm -hmm. But he spoke to them and he understood them to be good Americans. And these individuals may or may not believe in gay marriage or marriage mm -hmm. rights for trans individuals, but they go to work and they seemingly 
do a good job, right? They're not Mm -hmm. all on performance reviews. They're not all getting fired. So I just wonder a little bit, what are we training for? Are we training to change hearts and minds? Are we just trying to change behaviors? I don't think you can change a behavior without changing hearts and minds, right? So actually yesterday, my Uber driver said something to me. It was incredibly profound for an Uber conversation. And she was like, you learn through adversity and you learn through discomfort. She didn't even know what I was trying to do. And she was just telling me, you learn through adversity, you learn through discomfort. Ultimately, adversity and discomfort are what cause you to look inwardly and really question yourself. And that's really where you shift your belief system. So through changing your heart, through changing your mind, then you change your behaviors. You can't shift your behavior if you don't shift your belief system, your values. And growing up in the South, I had a very different belief system from the one I hold now. And really, it came down to that personal experience. You know, I had a very specific moment where I insulted somebody very close to me, you know, not realizing that what I was saying was insulting and it's not necessarily something I currently believe. Really, when I saw how hurt she was and how upset she was by what I said, I had to question my belief system, my value system, and where it came from because I hurt somebody I cared about. And so I think it truly does take the change of hearts and minds to lead to the shift in behaviors. All right. So someone's in this VR experience, whether they're wearing an Oculus headset or not. An organization can learn a lot right from this experience about their employee. They can learn blink rate. I'm sure they can learn heart rate if they wanted to or all sorts of biometrics. And they can also learn how an employee initially responds to a scenario around sexual harassment or a weird moment of exclusion when there should be inclusion. Mm -hmm. So what's in this for employers? Like, What do they learn and how can they set future training scenarios up to kind of make incremental progress in the world of diversity and inclusion? So this is one of the things I'm the most excited about because I think that it's just this incredible opportunity, right? Historically, we've never been able to understand the ways that people think about these topics. I can't sit here and look at you and read your microfacial expressions and know, okay, you know, she uh, she's very empathetic and she has high confidence around this, right? But actually being able to measure people's engagement rates, their hesitancy rates, and then look at how that maps out across different topics means that in the future, we're going to be able to actually leverage that information to be able to look at things like patterns and learning, patterns and behaviors, the ways that different people learn, how that influences their retention, the ways that you know if somebody comes in with a higher level of confidence or with a different background, whatever it might be, that influences the experience they have, the ways that they perceive things. And so I think that really it does change the way that we think about training and education. And what we're looking at is leveraging predictive analytics, being able to actually suggest additional content around different areas and say, Hey, Morgan, you know, you thought that you had really great empathy. It actually turns out that around these different topics, you don't because here's what you displayed. Here are some additional areas where you can do better. And that's a really amazing organizational opportunity to come in and say, we're going to step up the bar and we're really going to take it from whatever compliances and, and add on kind of these additional trainings around areas and pockets where our employees can be better. When was the last time you checked your pay stub or picked benefits at work? Chances are it wasn't easy. HR software has been clunky and hard to use since, well, HR has been a thing. One technology company takes a different approach, namely as an all-in-one HR payroll and benefits software platform employees love to use. Ready to clock in? No problem. Need to write a performance review? You can do that. Want to schedule vacation time? Namely makes it easy to do even from your phone. Namely also has a social news feed where employees can share updates, celebrate birthdays, 
and give shout outs and recognition for a job well done. Over 1,000 companies use Namely every day. If you're in HR or you run your own business, it's time to see Namely in action. Get a free demo by visiting namely.com forward slash podcast. That's namely.com forward slash podcast. See how you can build a better workplace with Namely. I think it's really fascinating to get prescriptive around training, around development, around blind spots, around the biases that we have. I think that's super cool. I know many of the people who listen to Let's Fix Work are a little scared about the surveillance we already do of the workforce, you know, uh, sentiment analysis, all the kind of stuff that goes along. Anytime we pick up a device or communicate anything, an employer is trying to make an assumption mm-hmm. about whether or not we're going to stay, whether or not we're going to mm-hmm. cause them to be yeah. sued, right? You know, yeah. We are being surveilled night and day. And yeah. when employees know that, it really gives them and talent and workers and gig workers who yeah. aren't even employees are a part of this network now, this net of information. Do you have any hesitancy about this yourself? Because you're creating this really interesting tool, but it's the wild, wild west, maybe. It's the wild, wild west, if you allow it to be. I am actually, I'm really passionate about this as well. I think that you really, as a technology leader or as an industry leader or whatever you want to call yourself, like it is your responsibility to really be thoughtful in this from the get-go. So actually, I was speaking at Fortune's Brainstorm Design Conference and the D School from Stanford did a really amazing experience with the audience during this conference around machine learning, where basically it was ad libs for machine learning algorithms and you could create a best case scenario, but then they asked you to create a worst case scenario. And so it's teaching people to think about the negative implications of what they're designing with prior to designing with the system, because ultimately you don't want to be finding that out later. So for example, we anonymize everything. We'll never allow you to drill down on a per user basis. It's just one of our principles. It's something I strongly believe in because ultimately we want to educate people, the individual user. And you can't do that if somebody you know, feels scared that whatever yeah. action they take is going to be flagged. Right. right. So that's not in alignment with our goal outcome. And then taking that one step further, it's really looking at your policies, right? So for example, we're in a meeting, really great question. And this is a really great example that reflected on, you know, how we want to think about things. Somebody asked us, okay, so you can drill down, you know, by managers and employees, you can't drill down further than an aggregate group of people. Great, you protect user privacy. What's the minimum number of people you can drill down to? You know, and that causes you to realize that there are always going to be people who are trying to think their way around the lines, you know, and look at the confinement and, and figure out how to get around it. And so as a company, it is your responsibility to have very clear policies around things like that and think about the ethics and morality of the way it's going to impact the world in 10 years before you build with it. You know, it's interesting. You're thinking about the ethics and morality of privacy and individual rights to exist in this world without being surveilled 24-7 and being identified and profiled. But there's also the morality of setting the morality. And I think this is something that I think about a lot in human resources. There's this new and emerging way of thinking in the world of work that no longer are we going to tolerate harassment Mm -hmm. or bias or abuse or bullying. And so I mean this as a victim of a lot of this, you know, as a victim of harassment, as a victim of bullying, as a victim of sexual assault myself, I really feel as if there is a better way to run the world. Mm -hmm. And yet we live, and so I'm just going to say this because I know this is going to come up in my letters that I get in my emails. We live in a world where 
it's still okay to be a little bit bigoted and it may even be protected by the constitution, right? We can Mm -hmm. believe that Christianity is the way to go, or we can believe that the state of Israel is more important than the state of Palestine, or we Mm -hmm. can believe that traditional marriage is more important than gay marriage. So at some point, what is the role of employers to create a better and safer and more elevated work environment? And where do our individual rights to believe what we want to believe come into this conversation? Does that all make sense? It it does. And that's actually a really interesting debate that I love, you know, love to get into (laughs) because I, I think that a really great question that somebody asked us, the way I see the future of learning and training is that I do eventually believe that there will no longer be two, two hour training mandates around things like anti sexual harassment training. I believe that it's going to be learning outcome oriented. And eventually, I believe we'll see a world where we have things like AI powered training, where the training content is dynamically populated based on the actions you're taking real time, down to like look at Textia, right? Where the words yeah. that people are saying in the training programs change. And so you no longer have this two hour training mandate of Morgan needs to learn these 10 things across these two hours, whatever it may be. And it's does Morgan understand these four core concepts? But where the argument and the debate comes in is what are those four concepts, right? Because my view of what a moral and ethical person is, is probably different from your view. Even if we have very similar moral and ethical standards, it's still going to differ in you know a variety of different ways because every single person is different. And so really, it comes down to what is the employer's role? What is the government's role? What's the individual's role? And I think that it's something I can't necessarily answer for you right now because I think that yeah. you know it's a question that has come up. It's always existed. I think it's come up even more so recently with like the rise of Me Too and with an increasing focus on inclusion in leadership practices, etc., you know, and inclusion across the board organizationally, now we're starting to ask, okay, well, we're having a shift in what is okay, what is the norm, who sets that? Well, I think about all these men in positions of power and I read in the New York Times and the Atlantic that there are these men who believe in diversity, believe in inclusion, believe that women should earn as much as men, believe that women should have positions of power and then go home and treat their wives as if it's 1953. They don't do housework. They don't do laundry, right? And they would never, they would never do it. They're like, it's not a priority for me. This is what I have a wife for. And so I think there are these personal things that we hold dear to our heart. Mm -hmm. And then there are the ways that we behave in public. And oftentimes, there's this big gap. And the really cool thing is your technology can suss that out, right? You can see when someone thinks one thing and is responding a different way because of their hesitancy, right? So what do you do with someone? Because it's not illegal to think that your wife should do the dishes, but it is growingly gauche to go to work and expect women to pick up your dishes, right? Mm -hmm. So... I don't mean to beat a dead horse here. No, I would hope it's more than growingly gauche. That's why. (laughs) I'm trying to be gentle here. (laughs) It's totally gauche. I think especially dudes, I mean, they say one thing to do another, right? A lot of us do that. And so I just wonder, what do you do with that information as a company, as a technology company, when you see men and women saying one thing and behaving a different way? The way that we handle it right now is we do individual user feedback where we'll actually say, hey, here are some areas where you did a really great job. Here are the areas where you really didn't. Here are your empathy scores. Here are your confidence scores. Here are your hesitancy scores. Here's what you assumed you would do versus here's what you actually did. I think that that information is incredibly powerful because ultimately, when you think about it, I would say 98% of the world, maybe that's off. Maybe it's 95, maybe it's 99%. But the majority of people do want to be the best versions of themselves, whatever they believe that best version to be, right? So going back to the previous debate. But if I believe the best version of myself is somebody who's highly empathetic, 
who is very open-minded, who is accepting and loving of all people, regardless of whether or not their views align with mine, whatever that may be. And then my actions don't align with that. There's a very good chance I have actions that don't align with that, but I can't become aware of them unless somebody tells me. And if nobody tells me, the only other way is through discomfort, through hurting somebody, through saying something, and then through self-reflection. So the more we can educate people and give people information on areas where they can be better, the more likely we are to actually enable that outcome to happen. Really interesting. All right. So I wonder if you have stories or if your technology has really been proven to change behaviors, to change outcome, or to move an organization forward. Like, How do you know that you're doing good work? What are you hearing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we look forward to releasing research and case studies, hopefully this coming year. We're really excited. We have some companies on board to do it with us. I think the biggest thing for me, we do have a ton of stories. I remember one time we put a guy into it and he took off the headset. He was like, I had no idea that's actually how it happened or that's how it felt. We had somebody do an interview with The Economist. We were in one of their documentaries around Me Too. And the guy was like, it feels real. And it's weird to realize that like that's the feeling. And I think that's the core component that we're missing, right? Is the feeling aspect. We actually ended up having one of our customers, Sugarfina, the CEO ended up investing in a customer meeting when we went in to go present to them for potentially training their company. And he was like, it's just so incredible that you have the ability to see all of these different outcomes and see what it looks like and actually feel that feeling of, okay, somebody's leaning into my space or somebody's leaning into her space that doesn't feel okay. And so, you know, really what we're going to be looking at over this coming year, we're going to be looking at the longitudinal impact, right? Really, how do people's behaviors, their self-assessed behaviors map up to the behaviors that they display? And then we're also going to start looking at things like cross-industry or, you know, cross-generation, that sort of thing. So we can start to see are there ways that we can take this further in our educational outcomes? Boy, it's fascinating because the one thing that's true of most people is that most individuals are not Mm self-aware. And so I bet it's just so interesting and fascinating to see the light bulb go off over someone's head. I mean, I would pay money to be in the room to witness some dude go, whoa, (laughs) and have have a moment of empathy. Like That would just make me feel great. Tell me, why do you do this work? Like, Why are you interested in fixing work from this perspective? What's your story that drove you to this moment where you're like, yeah, VR, this is what's going to do it? It's such a personal reason for me. I get so passionate. I like half the time I tear up, half the time I get angry because it's just, it's so personal. You know, ultimately, it's just growing up in this world, not only being on the receiving end of so much of it, but also seeing so many people I care about being on the receiving end of it. Even before Me Too, the one thing I would say is that women don't speak out unless they speak up in unison. But I think I'm just such an empathetic person that when I see someone hurt, I hurt. And when you realize the level of inequality that so many people live with and face across the board from economic background to their genders, their ethnicity, to whatever it may be, it's really impossible for me not to care. And ultimately, when I leave the world one day, I want to look back and I want to feel like I made an impact on the world at scale. I want to feel like I've impacted the ways that people see each other and see themselves. And I think that If I don't do that, I would not be happy. So to me, I don't see myself (laughs) doing anything else than, than this. 
I love it. That's a great answer. Well, if individuals are interested in following up or learning more about your technology, before you tell them where to go, just very briefly, why don't you talk about what you offer now to the marketplace and a little bit about the ways in which people buy your services? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, we started with anti-sexual harassment training. We'll be rolling out unconscious bias training within the coming few months. So we're really excited about that. The way that you can buy our services, we price very similarly to a 2D video vendor. So nothing to be scared about there, which is really exciting. And we will actually build out your deployment plan. It's a per-person licensing fee annual model. So very similar to what everyone in the industry is familiar with. Do you, as part of your deployment model, do you ship out the actual VR headsets as part of this model? Yeah. So we will actually come on site. We'll help you with the implementation. We will help you with procuring all of the headsets. And then we deploy out our software remotely so we can push out updates and make sure that you guys have great service. God, that's so interesting. There used to be that... Well, there is this company called HireVue. And back in the day, they were very early to video interviewing. And so you know, I've worked with that organization in the past. And they would actually have to go on site at the very early days and set up video cameras for their customers because yeah. there were no video cameras built into the yeah. laptops. And now I think like in a few years, everybody is going to have a virtual work oh, yeah. experience in some capacity. So you're not going to have to ship out Oculus. I <laughs> no, I, I know. I know. But it's, you know, when you're, when you're early, it's, you have to help with the market. You do. You have to educate the market in a lot of ways from the tech, from just the experience, all of it. So I wish you a tremendous amount of luck. It's super fascinating. And I'm on your side, Morgan. I really believe that you're going to change the world. And I think Thank this you. is a really phenomenal step in the right direction. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. You're welcome. Now, where can everybody find you on the internet if they want to connect with you? So we are at www.trivantagepoint.com or you can email us at either info or sales at trivantagepoint.com. Perfect. Excellent. Well, it was great to have you as a guest on Let's Fix Work. Thank you for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back right after the break. All executives need to be podcasting. Podcasts are the number one way for executives to create an authentic and trusting relationship with employees and potential customers. That's why my producer, Danny Osmond, just did a three-part series on why executives should be podcasting. Want to give your company a brand or a face? Want to connect with current or future employees? Are you interested in pivoting out of your current position and into a new career or personal brand? Well, if you're an executive who is podcast curious, head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives and learn how a podcast builds credibility, how podcasting gives you a leg up against the competition, and how a podcast can power a speaking career and help you write a book. Don't worry about finding the time to listen. Each episode is less than 10 minutes and Danny has put all three episodes in one place. Head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives to listen and find more resources. That's dannyosmond.com forward slash executives. Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Morgan Mercer. Every week I send you to the show notes and it's a good place to go for more information. This week, I've included links on the way that virtual reality will change corporate learning. Really fascinating stuff. I'm excited to announce that this week's podcast is sponsored by and underwritten by Namely. Namely's all-in-one HR payroll and benefits platform makes HR professionals' lives easier, saving them on average 11 hours each week. And over a thousand companies use Namely to build a better workplace. And I would love it if you would go sign up for a free demo at namely.com forward slash podcast. 
Now, every week, Let's Fix Work is produced by Emerald City Productions and Danny Osmond, who makes the show sound great. Right now, he's in the middle of a move from Nashville to Orlando. I would do that in reverse, but his entire family, well, they love Disney. They're where they need to be. But Danny has plenty of time to nerd out with you about podcasting. So if you're podcasting curious, don't forget to reach out to him. It's Danny Osmond at Emerald City Productions. Now, that's all for this week, and I really hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes.